Good morning, Argentina, and welcome to Behind the Lights with me, Seb. And me, Jono. As always, we pay respect to the traditional custodians of the land where you're coming from, the Gadigal people of the Aurora Nation. Well, on today's special episode, uh, we're joined by a guest and a gentleman that uh, has joined us in our earlier World Cup preview show, our former football administrator and striker international, Romano Bitt. Uh, welcome back to the pod, Ray, and um, obviously we'll look at the World Cup in a bit more depth a little bit later on in regards to an amazing final there. But, um, yeah, welcome back. And how have you enjoyed the World Cup over the last month? Uh, excellent, Seven Jono. Thank you for um, having me back on the show and uh, thank you for uh, your listeners um, listening to this great podcast that comes from behind the lights. Um, so, yeah, I've, it's been exhilarating. Before we get into a bit more, obviously, discussion around what we saw uh, early Monday morning here in Australia in regards to the World Cup final, we do have to touch on um, some disgraceful scenes that we saw over the weekend in the A-League here in Australia uh, that occurred in the Melbourne derby between Melbourne Victory and Melbourne City. Uh, as we know, fans uh, protested across the league uh, due to the decision by the APL to award Sydney the next three grand finals. So that includes the men's and the female grand finals. Um, the Melbourne Derby, though, did take an ugly turn when Melbourne City goalkeeper Tom Glover threw a flare back. So this was all around the 20th minute of the game, which was thrown uh, by the Melbourne Victory supporters. Victory supporters then stormed the pitch, injuring Glover in the process um, with a bin being thrown at him. The referee as well got caught up in it, as well as a cameraman. Uh, I'll go to you first, Ray. What did you make of the scenes and, and how... Uh, how much do you think this will affect the game here in Australia, especially after the high um, of the Socceroos at the World Cup? Well, uh, Seb and Jono, I think um, uh, what we saw was pretty appalling. Uh, I guess, look, uh, right in the midst of this, you know, we're, we're having a World Cup final. We've got high publicity advertising going on. Um, kids can't wait to watch the, the game. And then we get that piece of news. Um, look, you got to condone any type of violence. I mean, what we saw there was pretty, it was pitiful, really. I mean, I've got to say with Tom there, I mean, I feel extremely sorry in terms of his injuries and what happened. Um, no player should be subjected um, to be manhandled um, or, you know, um, be upset by a crowd, particularly coming onto a pitch. Um, however, in hindsight, um, looking at the other end, if I was Tom, I wouldn't have thrown that flare back. Because, I mean, you're throwing a flare back into a crowd and yeah. you just don't know the innocent bystander that it could be a child, could be anybody. Um, and they may have reacted on that. However, having said that, uh, it's sad that they did. They shouldn't have. Um, it, it was, you know, uncalled for. The referee was involved. There's quite a few people involved there. But what I'd like to say is that I hope and we all hope that the authorities will get a hold of those people. I mean, it's quite evident who they are. I mean, if, you, if, you, if the police can't get their hands on um, those type of faces and ID, well, I think we've got no chance here. But once they do, um, they need to have an automatic ban from anything that uh, is associated with anything that involves crowds, games. Um, you know, that's not sport. That's, that's pretty ugly violence. So um, very sad to see. And I think for all concerned, it's very sad. So um, it, was, it was not a, you know, a, a good representation 
of our game and it wasn't really called for particularly at this time where we had an important moment to celebrate football the way it should be celebrated. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that as well. I think it comes down to, unfortunately, you know, we don't ever want to see these violent acts on, on or off the pitch as well. But it just comes down to the timing of this as well. Just has it's it's just when there's just so much joy about what the game has really brought to us. And in particular in Australia here, the Socceroos had an amazing, amazing World Cup for the, you know, for what they've wanted and what they went into this World Cup predicting what would happen. They exceeded all expectations. And then to come back where football's really at its height. As you said, we're going into a World Cup final as well. And then for something like this to happen, just really, I think, tarnishes a bit of the reputation that that football has in Australia as well. But um, really sad scenes to see that kind of stuff happen. We never want to see that to happen, like I said, on or off the pitch as well. Um, but yeah, just it's it's just definitely going to be something to keep an eye out. And, and hopefully the authorities definitely get a hold of these individuals who took part in this. Yeah, I think in regard to the protests, I actually think the walkout of the 20th minute, I think fans are are allowed to do that and if they feel strongly about an issue that um they feel like the game's been taken away from i agree that fans can can show their um i guess uh disharmony at the decision that's made it'll be interesting to see what happens with this with this decision to obviously award sydney the next three grand finals and um how the apl uh, react to this and the a-league react to it but as you said right i think the the perpetrators in terms of the violent acts that happen in Melbourne, I think they need to be banned from the game for life because you just can't be having that sort of uh, fan violence at football games. You you, you want to have the fans involved, um, but obviously that's just a step too far. So obviously some unfortunate and some ugly scenes there, and especially in one of the marquee games of the A-League because we know how passionately supportive the Melbourne Derby is with how majority of those Melbourne Victory supporters especially um, how well they support their club. So hopefully the authorities jump on it pretty quickly and, and we can sort of forget um, that this obviously happened and, and obviously move on with the season. We're moving on to some more positive news in regards to the world game. And the World Cup final uh, was played early Monday morning here in Australia. Plenty of people got up uh, early. Pubs were full of uh, Argentinian fans especially. And Ray and Jono, what a match it turned out to be. One of probably the greatest World Cup finals we've ever seen, if not one of the greatest football games uh, to ever be played. Um, the game ending 3-3, Argentina 2-0 up uh, in that first half. They were absolutely blistering. France never got a foothold in the game. Um, and obviously then that Kylian Mbappe penalty in the second half turned the game inside two minutes where Mbappe scored twice to bring it 2-2. We went into extra time. Argentina went up again 3-2 uh, through Lionel Messi before, obviously, that uh, late extra time penalty for Kylian Mbappe before we went to the penalty shootout. And Argentina uh, got through 4-2. Argentina's first World Cup victory since 1986. Obviously, the great Diego Armando Maradona uh, inspiring that team. This generation inspired by possibly now the greatest player we've ever seen. Obviously, that's going to be a debate that'll keep rumbling on, but Lionel Messi finally getting his hands on the one trophy that um, has eluded him in his glittering career. Before we go into a bit more of the details around the game, Ray and Jono, Ray, what did you think of the contest and just the, I guess, how it unfolded in front of us? It looked like Argentina were, a, were cruising to victory and then, I guess, a couple of minutes of, of brilliance by Kylian Mbappe really turned the game on its head. Yeah, look, it was an on, it was ungodly hour that we got up. 
okay? <laughs> but it produced a godly match. I mean, that was um, something that you don't see every day. Um, it was a match where you dare to dream, okay? Uh, Mezzi cometh the Messiah. We saw what happened at the end there, and deservedly so when the Sheik presented him with that uh, wonderful <laughs> display of thanks and appreciation in terms of who he is, not only as a player but as a man. The match itself was um, unbelievable. I mean, the first half with uh, Di Maria scoring that, that second goal was absolutely superb. Uh, Messi with the penalties. And, you know, let's, let's, let's think about penalties, you know, because there's a saying that only those who have the courage to take a penalty miss them. Okay, so to step up and the expectations of the world and every child that's watching is that Messi is going to score that penalty. He's not going to miss it. And for him to do that over and over and over and the calmness, the precision, the way he did this was just something to behold. And um, for me, uh, Seb and Jonah, there's no argument anymore. There's absolutely no argument. For me, you know, let's, let's talk about him just briefly, okay? World Cup winner, Copa America, finalissima, went and beat the Italians as well there. Ten La Liga titles, seven Copa del Reyes, four champ UEFA Champions League, seven Ballon d'Or. Okay, 41 club and international titles. I think Danny Alves is the only one that comes near him, if, mm. if that. Um, a quiet achiever, a leader, technically gifted, okay, team man, a magician of the threaded pass. Have a look at the sublime passing. Have a look at how he reads the game, not only with the ball, but off the ball. The, the man is complete, comes from Mars. There's no doubt about it. So I think it was a fantastic effort by the Argentine team this time to get behind the Messiah, to get behind Lionel Messi and thank him and reward him and appreciate him. And he gave them back what they, you know, so hard fought for. And I think it was beautiful to watch. Um, without doubt, you know, that's what we look for. We look for the beautiful game. You know, we look for the technical aspects of something that's just going to blow your socks off. It's going to be marvellous. And, and it had everything. And, you know, it looked like in the second half, I mean, let's go on to, uh, Mbappe there, okay, unbelievable. He will be, no doubt, the next rival here to, to go forward with this. And he's only, well, he's only turning 24. Imagine what's yep. in store in terms of if the French can get a team around him. And, and you know, he's the only player since Jeff Hurst in 1966 to get a hat-trick, I believe, if I'm, I'm not wrong. Yep. Um, unbelievable, you know. And he carried, I've got to say, he carried that team through. The, the French, it looked like they were gone. Yeah. The only thing that I, that I detected there was, and I think we all did, it looked like in the second half, the younger French bodies were getting on top of the Argentinians. You know, and and uh, the, what prevailed was, this is where Argentina this time was different. That sure, they were tired, sure, they were under pressure, but they had a crowd there that was second to none. They, they were virtually playing at home. Yeah. Okay, and, and, and that um, unbelievable save, uh, by Martinez at the last moments. I mean, that told you that the dream was, it's going to come true. It, yeah. it was made in heaven. It was a match that they were going to win and, and Messi was going to hold finally that cup. I, I think it brought tears and brought a lot of emotions to a lot of us. I'm sure we were tired, but we really felt the strain in terms of wishing, you know, all those boys, I mean, the French and the Argentines, they played an unbelievable game. But this World Cup, okay, highly anticipated, was about Messi. Imagine the pressure that he probably felt and how he dealt with that pressure, undeniably why it makes him the greatest player I've ever seen anyway. So um, Merry Christmas, Argentina. Enjoy it. 
And Lionel, you're, you're a champion, and um, I can't wait at 35 what he's got also next. So I don't think he's going to – he might not play for Argentina, but I'm telling you, he's going to be giving some club or some nation some pleasure in the sense of what he's still capable of doing. But a master class, I'm so happy that we all got to witness something like this, and it ended with the icing on the cake by him lifting that trophy. Beautiful, beautiful moment, beautiful times, and uh, – it's about the moments that we live in, and, and, and these are great moments for Argentina, their fans, and the football world in general. Yeah, I, I think that just even yeah, looking at this game, it was just it just encapsulates what we you know what everybody always says when they call it the beautiful game. It had absolutely everything. You had the stage was set for who is now. You know, you looked at as the greatest player to ever play, so he's the present day person. You have the potential future of football and Mbappe as well going against each other. But then it was just their raw emotion, in particular when you look at this Argentinian team and the fact that you could tell they all rallied behind. They're not just winning it for Argentina. They're also winning it out of respect for Messi as well. And I think actually on the day as well, the most beautiful part of this was yes, Messi contributed. Yes, he was able to score goals. Yes, he was a vital part to this. But it was the rest of the team that I think really won this today for Argentina. They rallied around him. And that's what made it so much more beautiful as well as the fact that it wasn't just this Messi versus Mbappe battle. This was a full team approach. And yes, Mbappe maybe had to drag France a little bit over the line and really step up for them. But from this Argentina perspective, this was absolutely incredible to see that. And you could see the nation really just slowly rally around him and say, you know what, let's take some burden off of you today. You contribute in your ways as best as you can, but we're going to take the rest. We're going to push you over the edge. And it was just honestly a beautiful day for football because you have an opportunity to essentially grace the the, the greatest player to ever play with this with this opportunity to lift a trophy that he's just been so needing to lift in his career that there's been so much talk about him never that he can never top and be the greatest of all times without winning a world cup and he finally got there so i think realistically even some french fans today would be quite happy seeing that out of respect for what he's been able to bring to the game i mean you think about this last 20 years that we've been able to live in in terms of football and we've seen potentially two of the greatest go battling at each other at all times with Messi and Ronaldo. Now we get to see that one who's just had that little extra edge that everybody always, whenever you have that debate, you always had to give it to Messi to have, he has that little bit of a wow factor. He had that little bit of an extra edge and today really just took it over the mark as well. But yeah, just looking at this game, it was just absolutely incredible. I'm so happy for not just Argentina, but for Messi to finally just get that. He can sit on his throne, know that he's been able to achieve it. And look, whether he suits up and plays for Argentina again in, in a real competitive game, let's say, or whether even at a club level as well, if he just says, you know what, for the rest of my career, I just want to go and I want to relax, he's still going to contribute. And <laughs> the ability that he has is just absolutely incredible. And then looking at Mbappe as well, it really just shows that, you know, football has a bright future. He really did show, you know, maybe he was locked up defensively for quite a while in that game, but he, he showed that, you know, when he gets an opportunity, he's going to take it. And, his finishing as well was just was next level in, in today's game. For for him to be so young and be able to finish so many penalty attempts as well shows that his nerves, his composure and everything, he went to the same side in all three of his penalty takes as well, which takes incredible, incredible skill to be able to put them all away. It just shows for me the future is bright, but this game had it all. It probably has to be top one of the top games ever to be played certainly in the international stage and also just at club level as well. This would probably top most most of those games. I agree with you, John, in regards to the way Argentina approached this game. I think what this game highlighted uh, 
was the reason both these countries had made the World Cup final. I think this Argentinian team encapsulates a team. Yes, you have your leader in Lionel Messi, who is your genius, and he can uh, he can just perform moments of, of brilliance to, to win games uh, single-handedly. But then you play such as Alex Alexis McAllister from Brighton. I thought yeah. he was immense today, setting up that second goal for yeah. Angel de Maria, who I thought was superb for 60 minutes, just ran out of legs. Uh, and Argentina, we saw Scaloni going a little bit defensive when he brought Acuna on for de Maria. It did change the momentum slightly. I um, also thought Rodrigo de Paul in that midfield for Argentina was unbelievable today. The way they... they um, they lessened Antoine Griezmann's influence on the game. We've seen how good he's been, but he could not find those pockets of space. So obviously, uh, Deschamps actually brought him off to, to try and uh, change the game up a little bit. And as you mentioned, I think, Ray, Emelino Martinez, the goalkeeper, Aston Villa goalkeeper, first Aston Villa player to ever play in a World Cup final. Um, I thought he's been amazing yeah. at this World Cup. And to bring out that save in the 119th minute against Kola Moani, who would have been a hero for France, the young striker coming on, he couldn't have done much more with that ball. He hit it crisply, but the way he spread himself uh, was unbelievable. I know people have been criticising uh, Martinez, the way he acted in the penalty shootout when he threw the ball away um, when when one of the young players uh, was coming up to take his penalty. But I think just the way he's inspired uh, that Argentinian team from the back, and I think every great team has a great goalkeeper. I think that's where it starts. Um, and this Argentinian team certainly had that. So I think they, they're they greater than the sum of their parts in terms of the individuals in that team. Individually, I think the French team actually had a better team. Yeah. But the Argentinian team, Scaloni, you have to give Scaloni a lot of credit, the Argentinian coach. He's brought that collective together and Messi plays for that team and they play for Messi. And you could see, obviously, the result in them winning the World Cup. Scaloni now has won the Copa America and the World Cup. He'd never coached a team before this Argentinian national team. So if I was him, I'd probably just retire on a beach now. <laughs> he doesn't need to do any more in, in the world game. Um, I, yeah, no, go ahead, Ray. No, sorry, I was going to say, Scaloni, it's exciting to see a coach of this nature and give that free space to Messi. Instead of entrapping Messi and yeah. keeping him, you know, what we've seen him suffer, okay, Scaloni's worked out very quickly that this is a special player, okay, and the team knows that too and the respect that they both that they've shown towards each other has been instrumental in getting them to lift this cup. It's also amazing to see Dybala coming in. That penalty by Dybala, by the way, was crucial. It was millimetres away from the and legs to come of the on, goalkeeper. Ray, to score a penalty to come on. on the bench. In that, in that environment is amazing mental strength by, by Dybala. And the other thing too is, this is the beautiful thing about football. Um, a player called Gonzalo Montiel scores the winner. I mean, would you? Who would have thought that? You know, Gonzalo is part of that team. He's one the of the most unglamorous player probably in that team. Unglamorous. Right? No one knows who. He's just an unglamorous right back. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's uh, incredible because that's exactly what football is about. That's why it's called the world game. It's why it's called football, and it's called beautifully, you know, presented and played by players that can perform at a time that's crucial to perform day in and day out. And no matter, they're all respected. No matter what, whether it's Messi um, or whoever else, they've got total respect. And that coach, Scalone, I think he's done a, a wonderful job. Great to see everything from not only on the park, but what happened on the bench in terms of, there was a few incidents, but it's part of the game. But um, a fantastic uh, representation in terms of the word holistic and uh, well done to all of them. 
Yeah, I think you bring up actually a really good point in terms of just even looking at Scaloni and what he was able to bring to this team. He just really recognized the pieces to the puzzle that he had. I think that's what he did the best is he recognized, okay, as you said, Messi needs to, of course, have that freedom, that flexibility, right? Let's build a team then to make sure that we allow that as well. And I think in particular, the midfield of this Argentina team, when they were at their best, it was when their midfield was playing at their best, when Fernandez was playing at the best, when Rodrigo de Paul was playing at his best, when that supporting cast was there. And even in particular as well in this game, uh, Di Maria, for however long he was on the pitch, for that 60-ish minute that he was on the pitch, he then added yeah. as well and, and gave Messi that little bit of flexibility attacking-wise as well. That wasn't all pressure on Messi to always make those creative runs and everything. Di Maria was doing that as well. And then, as we said, I think tactically as well, you know, we saw some substitutions as well that Scaloni was able to make. And I think he got pretty much everything spot on in keeping the freshness through his squad. He recognized that as well. I think a, a really good sub was subbing out DePaul as well, Rodrigo DePaul, that he recognized, you know what, he put in as much effort as possible. He's a physical presence. But, you know, we needed we need that time to shift. And as you point out, bringing on DiBala, it is such a big move to bring on players, in particular for penalties. But you know what? I think he also gave a lot of respect to DiBala's name, knowing that he's a player of that caliber that will be able to compose himself in the moment. We've seen it before, in particular, you and me, Ray, and following these Italian teams where you bring on a player for penalties and they can just sky it over. But in particular, DiBala was able to recognize the fact, Scaloni was able to recognize that DiBala has that composure. He's he's out of that class as well to be able to do that. And as you said, his penalty in particular was crucial for Argentina to have that, that success. So absolutely fantastic job by Scaloni. I think he's should be rated in particular when you look at international managers as well. It's a difficult job to have those players for such a short period of time, but to be able to bring out the best of them. He did an absolutely great job in managing them. Looking at the other side of it, what do we make of the French team? I felt like that first 70 minutes, we didn't really see the real France. We saw, obviously, Deschamps went to his bench early, taking Giroud and Dembele off before half time. Dembele really struggled um, on De Maria's side, obviously gave the penalty away for the first goal. Um, and Giroud just couldn't get into the game today. Obviously, they uh, brought on younger legs, trying to get a bit more work rate. And Bappe went into the middle, trying to get a little bit more uh, defensive pressure, especially out wide where Argentina were killing him. Uh, they didn't record their first shot to the 72nd minute. What did you make of France? Ray, we'll go to you first in that first 70 minutes. What do you think? Um, yeah, what did you make of the French performance? Because they really just lacked any um, attacking verb and, and were struggling to impose themselves, obviously, on a very aggressive uh, and uh, an Argentinian team that was certainly up for it. Uh, yeah, I, I think the, the, the superb, uh, sublime passing of the Argentine team, the, the possession of the football. Okay, so when you've got possession, you've got control of the game. And they were mesmerising the French, okay? The French, I think, also, but were probably thinking, hey, you know, uh, let's let them do that. Um, they'll run out of legs. We're a younger side. We'll come back at them and we'll launch Killian onto them, which they did. And yeah. in spectacular fashion, I think, you know, when it was 2 we were looking, as, as we know, the most dangerous time in a football match is when you're 2-0, okay? You're sitting there, you're thinking we're cruising and, and the game's going deeper and deeper and you're still at 2-0. Then all of a sudden, the 70th, 75th, the 80th is getting closer than not. Then they launch an attack of that nature. The Argentinians, I think, were, you know, honestly shell-shocked what, what, what happened to them. And we looked at, I, I don't know about you guys, but I looked at them and I thought, I just hope they can hang out because they were tiring. But they found that, that second gear. They, they found it within the belief of the team themselves. This is where this Argentinian team 
was different to many others. They they looked they 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 picked themselves off the ground. They dusted themselves off, and they said, "Let's get on with it, guys." And nice. look at Messi's eye. Yeah, and just look at the way Messi just yeah he was just conducting them on, and they were going. He's, he's going. We're going to do it. We're going to be able to do this. And his goal was, I think, <laughs> it was fantastic. I mean, I didn't need a replay. I saw it. It went in. It went in. The way he hit it. Imagine having him. That's the person you want there at that moment, in a moment that's crucial to keep you alive and to do what he did and place it in an area where there was bodies and actually get it over that line. That was absolutely sensational. So, yeah, I think the French were, yeah, they were coming home stronger, but um, the X factor uh, and Messi's resolve and, and, and what he's really all about um, is exactly why he is on top of the world. And, and the LB Celeste, you know, $43 million in the bank. Um, they've got, an abundance of players coming through the ranks. If they can manage, uh, you know, man manage that that situation, look after the well-being of um, future football stars, and they'll come from Argentina again, and they'll be, you know, in, in in the EPLs. They'll be in Europe. They'll be everywhere, and they're getting a lot more wiser. They're getting to know the European football a lot better. So they're coming to these World Cups with a lot more confidence, a lot more knowledge, um, and I think you know, with with that in mind. Uh, the, the Europeans would need to um, would need to sort of you know think twice about just sort of saying hi, oh, this is ours, and you know we're home and hose because we've got such a strong league. Um, having said that, and maybe you might want to talk. I think the revela- more about it. The revelations been Morocco because when we're talking about Morocco, um, we're talking about a team that was probably not going to be given much chance in terms of what they done, but to watch the way they played. Um, the way that it was almost like watching total football. They, they didn't care about who was in front of them, who they were. They just attacked you at will. And, you know, they, they, the front third, the, the midfield, they were just coming at you. And, you know, there, there, there was just a, a beautiful sense of freedom of play with them. Um, and knowing that, you know, whether they won or lost, that pressure wasn't really as enormous as it would have been for Argentina and you know, some of the other teams and obviously France because of the powerhouse nations they are. So for me, that that was special. Um, and I think also Croatia honoured themselves, a very tough team to try and beat. Um, you know, it would have been probably beautiful to see Morocco win that third place. But nonetheless, I think they did themselves more than justice and the world could be proud to see that, hey, you know, providing you believe in yourself and you put in a lot of hard work and you have those disciplines and you can play that beautiful football, Anything is possible, and perhaps Africa will emerge in the next World Cup with an even bigger surprise. Yeah, I do think that this World Cup in particular, yeah, did show that that fact of that anything can happen. Um, but in looking at this, I do think that you know when you look at this French side for the first, I'd say yes. I mean, yes, seventy minutes is when they really start kicking to gear. But first sixty minutes or so, they really just struggled, and I think that was just the class as well from Argentina. I do think looking at it, it was the right decision in the end to take off Giroud and Dembele. I think Dembele in particular definitely struggled a bit more on the defensive side, as we've said most of this tournament. Dembele's had to do a lot, a lot of defensive duty to really make up for Mbappe really not having many defensive uh, responsibilities. So he's had to do a lot, and maybe just Di Maria was just a bit too much because. Um, you know, just having him attack you at all times is, is is very difficult for an out-and-out winger to defend. And then, look, Giroud, it, it did kind of shock me at first taking off Giroud because I think he does have quite a bit of quality for this French side. But in the end, I think bringing on some fresh, younger legs probably proved to be the right decision as well. 
Um, but I do think, yeah, it just took it just took way too long for France really to snap into the game. Again, that really goes a lot of credit to Argentina, I think, as well, for controlling that game. And of course, once we did see France swing into it and Mbappe step up, that's when it just leveled up to another another avenue of, of what this French team can do, what Argentina was able to combat with as well. Um, but it was uh, it was difficult to watch for those first kind of 60 minutes to sit there and say what's going on with this French side in terms of just looking at it from an outside perspective. But um, overall, I think uh, Deschamps did get his subs right in terms of bringing on that freshness to extend this game, which clearly happened. But um, you would be quite disappointed if you're a French supporter for how they started the game just overall. But again, I think a lot of it goes credit to this Argentinian team for controlling the game for that first 60 to 70 minutes. Yeah, a couple of substitutions, which I thought turned a little bit of momentum into France's, uh, France's way was Kingsley Coman. When he came on, I thought he added a little bit of a spark uh, out wide. And also Eduardo Camavinga, the young boy from Real Madrid, usually a central midfielder, came on as a left back for Teo Hernandez. Well, he was outstanding when he came on, um, and he will definitely be playing at a lot more World Cups for France, and and possibly one day he will lift the World Cup. He's a he's a quality player, so I think did think Deschamps in game management, he got it pretty right, and he he was able to turn that momentum. And if you've got a player like we mentioned, if you've got a player like Kylian Mbappe in your team, like if you've got a Lionel Messi, all you need is just a moment. You may not be playing the best football in France all through this World Cup. They've never played a magnificent ninety minutes, but they've had quality and taking those moments. We saw against England in the quarterfinal, they were second best team, but when they had the opportunities presented themselves, they've got players who can just take that opportunity and win a game. So again, we saw that today. Argentina, overall, probably the better football team, but France have got so much good quality players and Kylian Mbappe is a world-class player at 23. He will win another World Cup, I believe. He'll certainly win a Ballon d'Or, if not a few multiple Ballon d'Ors, once Messi and Ronaldo have have moved on. He's the one that will take that yeah. uh, take that next step and probably be the best player in the world and probably break all World Cup records. We saw he's already scored 12 World Cup goals uh, at the age of 23. So an outstanding game and um, obviously some awards at the end of the at the end of the contest. Enzo Fernandez, the young Argentinian midfielder, 21 from Benfica. He wasn't even in the original Argentinian squad to start the World Cup in, against Saudi Arabia and Mexico. He's come into the squad and been absolutely outstanding. So well-deserved young player of the year or young player of the tournament. The Golden Glove, Emilino Martinez for Argentina. Uh, quite self-explanatory. Again, an immense uh, war oh, for Argentina. Good. A real reason for them to lift the World Cup as well. The Golden Boot, Kylian Mbappe. It was a ba- constant battle within this game against Lionel Messi. He scored, then Messi scored. Then uh, in the end, Mbappe got it with eight goals and, again, richly deserved He's been uh, he's been outstanding for France at this World Cup. And then the golden ball, I think there were a few players that could have won it, but I guess they could only give it to Lionel Messi uh, for everything that he's gone through and obviously lifting the cup. So um, I think you can't really argue with, with any of those awards. I don't know if did either of you two have anyone else that you think deserved any of those awards? Yeah, look, I think when you when you look at it, of course, you can't really um, negate the fact of a golden boot race or anything like that. In terms of the young player, Fernandez, definitely, I think, you know, he just he did shine. Um, you look at it for golden glove. Look, after this game, I, I, I can't look away from Martinez because of the the saves that he was able to do, keep them in. 
it's not always just about clean sheets or anything like that. It's also about the big moment saves, the big moments when you when you shine. And for me, just really, this game right now, at least still, just overshadows the rest in that sense. And the same for the golden ball. You know, you would have probably almost put a Griezmann up there as well in particular. You know, maybe if he would have played better in this game and France would have been victorious, he potentially could have gone it. But it just comes down to certain moments. And for, for me, I just couldn't look away for what, um, Messi was able to do in this moment and, and what not only what he was able to do on the pitch but it's what he was able to inspire from the team as well so he rightfully did deserve the award Right, any arguments with the uh, awards that were given out? No, I think they were pretty reflective and fair of what had happened there and you know you go down to the wire and one of those players one of those boys that uh, been playing probably more regularly and you know um, he's getting to that final place of lifting that trophy um it's got to be you know somebody from there i was extremely impressed by the goalkeeping okay i, I thought um dominica libakovic the croatian yeah. boy he, he was he, he was a tower of strength um psychologically you, you know that guy there the discipline the battle hardness the you wouldn't want to be taking a penalty against him if you were down in confidence um and and obviously you know uh, what emmy martinez did uh, he's got to be the goalkeeper of the tournament, and he deservedly got that because you know he he was just a, a beacon. He, um, as we talked about before, that that last minute save that that was the World Cup on the line there, you know. And it goes to prove again how important is it to have somebody between the sticks that comes in with form like that, not only form but the confidence. And um, I think the earlier penalty saves he also had that kept building and building and building. And, you know, the whole team engaged with him as he did with them. Um, and I think at the end he was just, you know, he, he was very, very difficult to breach. Um, and I think, you know, what what he did there, obviously, in terms of that final um, achievement with uh, towards the end of that game, he held Argentina well and truly together and... Um, it was just beautiful to see. So congratulations to the keepers as well, which was very, very important part of the um, of the whole whole tournament. As always, as well with any tournament, uh, we have our teams of the tournament, and all three of us have chosen um, our eleven from this uh, World Cup. We'll start in goals. Um, I'll start first. I'll go first. We'll go Jono and then to Ray. So I've gone. A pretty obvious one here, Emelino Martinez. I couldn't ignore him, especially after this morning's performance. And uh, he's just been so immense for Argentina. Yeah, I think we're going to all have some common answers in this one in particular. I, I, I went with the same. Martinez, just for me, just, again, big moment saves is where I really want it for me. And yes, I must be on a really big Argentinian high right now. And that's what's kind of taken that over the edge. But yeah, I thought he was absolutely incredible this tournament. I agree. Inspirational, Emmy Martinez. So definitely, yes. All agreed on the goal cap. All right, I've got a back four. So I've gone a Roman Sias, the, the uh, Moroccan uh, captain. I thought he was inspirational and so And we saw how good Morocco were in defence. Uh, teamed up with the young Croatian, young gun. I know I had a little bit of trouble against Lionel Messi, made him look a little bit silly, but he's done that to many defenders uh, down the year. Josko Guardiol, the young 20-year-old from Croatia. RB Leipzig boy, and there'll be plenty of big teams sniffing around him. I've got Akrif Akimi on my right back, outstanding for Morocco, the PSG boy flyer. And I've actually got Noel Molina. The, he did play on the right for Argentina, but he would play on the left for me. I thought he was really good uh, for Argentina. So that is my back four. 
uh, in regards to my team. Yeah, look, I went with a back four as well. I went similar as well in terms of a center back with the Croatian, the young boy in Garviol as well. I had to go with him. But I teamed him up actually with Romero from Argentina. Look, I thought both him and Otamendi as well had a great, fantastic World Cup, but it just came down to Otamendi might have made one or two more mistakes than Romero. So that's why I kind of had to have him in the squad. Hakimi as well. And right back, you couldn't really look past him, the the great Moroccan player that he is. And then I went with Theo Hernandez, you know, for my left back, because I did think that, you know, his brother um, did get injured quite early on. I thought he did play quite well for France overall. I think he was an attacking option and also came came up crucial as well defensively. So he kind of rounded out my back four. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty close to you guys. Hakimi, Romero, Gavidiol, and I've gone with Acuna because... I think he just he had pivotal moments, and I think he was crucial to what he was doing in terms of um, defending going forward. I, I thought he played an exceptional role. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty much on the same um, thought pattern as you guys. Into midfield, I've gone with a midfield three. Uh, I've gone Antoine Griezmann. I know he was a little bit quieter in the final, but I thought he has an outstanding tournament for France, and actually probably France's best player overall. I've gone Sofyan Amrabat from Morocco. I thought he was amazing in the midfield. And again, plays for Fiorentina in the Italian Serie A, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, some beer clubs started sniffing around him. And I've gone Enzo Fernandez, the young Argentinian. He, we know he won best young player of the tournament. I thought as soon as he came into the team, scored that magnificent goal against Mexico, really ignited Argentina's uh, run to the final and obviously their victory. So I've gone with him uh, in my midfield three. I like it went slightly different. I went with a midfield four. And uh, yes, I know the young Moroccan was absolutely exceptional. But unfortunately, in mine, I went starting off with an older player in Luka Modric. Because I did still think that he just showed that he's a class above when it comes to... He was everywhere on that pitch for Croatia. And he is everything for Croatia. Also, with Griezmann as well, I do agree. Maybe the final wasn't his best performance. But he had an exceptional tournament. And then I went with two Argentines. I thought Fernandez, the young bloke, he was absolutely fantastic. And then you had to team him up with Rodrigo De Paul. I just thought it was such a physical presence for Argentina. He really just had everybody there. I love good physical players like that as well. And I thought he had an exceptional tournament. So that rounds out my midfield four. Yeah, it's, it's a great selection too. And uh, Luca obviously always has a big part. And I thought he was extremely... Um, efficient as usual, and uh, what a great, great superstar he's been as well. Um, I've, I've gone for Aurelian um, Sukameni. I think he was, he was. If I can pronounce his name properly, Sofian um, Amrabat. Um, I thought he was exceptional, and obviously Antonin Griezmann can't go past him. And I think they really missed him there at the end. Um, he, he was. Uh, you could see on the bench, he wasn't wasn't very happy. But um, yeah, I, I I think those guys. Um, I think they did superbly well. Well, my front three. Uh, I think two of these will be pretty obvious. Have to go Kylian Mbappe, Lionel Messi. I can't leave those two out of it. And I've gone Julian Alvarez, the other Argentinian striker. Didn't again start the tournament. They had Lotaro Martinez, the Inter Milan hitman who started, was couldn't hit the back of the net. He's come into the team, and he's, I thought, really complimented Lionel Messi superbly up front. His work rate is immense, and Manchester City have got themselves an unbelievable play there uh, when they brought him from Argentina. So I've gone Julian Alvarez uh, to round out my front three. Hey, look, I have a 4-4-2, so I only have two spots left, and I think it's pretty obvious as well as who's those two going to go to. It has to be Messi and Mbappe. I think they showed today in particular 
as well as to why they should be on everybody's team of the tournament. There is no exceptions there. Yes, uh, I agree there too. I've gone for um, Killian, obviously. Um, Alvarez, I think uh, Lataro, there, there was some good fighting spirit there amongst them. But it's great to see the coaches recognising who's the player that's going to be, you know, um, important to him at that moment. And I think um, Alvarez did a very good job. And obviously the king, Lionel Messi, um, you know, just simply superb. Uh, no words um, can say, you know, as much as you want to. He's just a genius and uh, just loved the tournament. And I think, um, you know, he's proven beyond doubt again who he really is and always was. So that's my team. And I've gone coach Lionel Scaloni to coach the team. I thought he's uh, he's done an amazing job with his Argentinian team. And as you said, Ray, I think he's made some adjustments to the team that he started the World Cup with and finished the World Cup with, and they've proved uh, decisive in them winning the World Cup. Yeah, look, yeah. I think for me, looking back at this, maybe this I might look at this a different way. And again, I might be on this Argentinian high. So I do have Scaloni as well. But look, it could have been Moroccan, the Moroccan coach. It could have been the Japanese coach as well. There was a lot of really good play, a lot of good teams as well that really shook up everything. Um, but for me, Scaloni, for what he was able to do, a man manage as well in particular in this final two, I think he made the right calls and rightfully so should be the the top the the top coach in this tournament. Yeah, look, you can't argue much beyond that, but I will say Walid, the Moroccan coach, yep. exceptional. I mean, he let the free play um, go. He let the excitement happen. Um, he brought the surprise. Um, he brought the, the crowd. He brought the exuberance, the passion, the love of the game back. And yeah, you know, a, a real outsider that just did unbelievably well. Yep. And you've got to put that down to the backroom staff and a coach of his nature as well. So, I yeah, Scaloni, yes, absolutely, because he was under enormous pressure. But I give it to Walid for me because of the extra dimension the World Cup brought to this tournament. No, they've certainly been a, a really bright story at this cup. And looking at this World Cup, Ray and, and Jono. What have we made of it? Obviously, we've seen some fantastic football and, and now we've probably seen one of the greatest World Cup finals uh, we may ever see. But we know the controversies that surrounded the Qatar coming into the World Cup and, and that have continued during the World Cup. What have you made of it looking at it now and how do you think the legacy and how do you think Qatar will be remembered um, once the FIFA festival leaves Qatar? John, I'll start with you. Yeah, look, I think for me, it's um, it's just kind of always going to be labeled as a bit of a journey. Um, I think, you know, when you look at it from how it even kind of the inception of how everything started with this being awarded to Qatar um, to, again, the buildup of the building of stadiums, the the harsh conditions, the human rights record, the um, essentially discrimination against the LGBTQI plus community. Um, it, it just had, it had everything in that sense. And then you look at it as well from a footballing standpoint, and it was a journey as well. It kind of took you on an emotional roller coaster in terms of what it brought you on the field. It had upsets, it has the oohs and ahs, and it had rightfully so the, the greatest player of all time taking his throne as well. But I also think in saying that it was a journey, it's also something that we need to recognize that the journey's not over. There was a lot of problems with this World Cup. There's a lot of issues that got uncovered as well, and that should not be forgotten, and that should not be looked at and, and passed on about. We should not just stop just because the World Cup's no longer there. We should not ignore the problems that are going on. 
um, just right there. It's really been heightened right now, and we need to take advantage of this too and make sure that we don't ignore what what is going on right there in the backyard. So again, the journey is not over yet for this World Cup and for the country of Qatar as well. Ray, what did you make of yeah? What have you made of this World Cup now that it is over, and the, obviously the I, FIFA festival will be leaving Qatar? What did you? Um, how do you look at? How do you think we should look at this World Cup? The tournament itself was exceptional. Some of the football that we've seen, look, you know, we were looking for probably a lot more spectacular type. Richardson, the the Brazilian goal, that that was amazing. We were looking, for, I was looking for more of that. Um, however, it provided very different aspect and surprise um, when we talk about Morocco and we talk about this unbelievable final that we just witnessed overnight. Um, human rights issues is always going to be um, pretty much prominent in terms of discussion, but we also, as a Western nation, must remember, you know, that we've had our black days, okay? We've had our situations um, that people must also consider in terms of what happened in our history. It wasn't um, all necessarily that bright. I mean, we had, um, and we're still fighting with it today. I think what's important is the world game, football, gives an opportunity to bring the world together so that together we could share these type of experiences, work hard towards a reconciliation program in terms of understanding each other's culture, why we think in different ways, why we have different laws, why we have different religions, why we have, you know, whatever you want to put into the context. But I think what is important is let's not just throw stones, okay? Let's not sit in a, a glass tower and just say, look at them. You know, what are they doing that's not, that's pretty bad. I mean, let's reflect on ourselves. And we've got that situation with our Australian heritage, okay, that we are, um, you know, uh, working very hard towards in terms of making things a whole lot better, making it right. And it comes through education, okay, not just an opinion because you have an issue with, you know, the creed, the colour, whatever, okay. That's not what the world's about. The world's about look at these players and those teams, okay. They represent a multitude of nations, you know, and they are people um, and, and they have thoughts and they have feelings and they have families and they have um, all sorts of challenges themselves. So embrace this in terms of the vehicle of football, bringing the world together. And um, let's hope that, you know, as I, we mentioned earlier, when we first kicked off, that um, this continues long before, long after the World Cup is finished and that we come back um, in being a much bigger and better world to live in. So, um, yeah, that's the message for me. Yeah, I agree. I think as another World Cup chapter closes, I think, what I guess we hope uh, moving forward is is Qatar does try and and develop as a, as a nation and look at itself and and see where its faults are. And obviously, a lot of those have been pointed out uh, during this process of hosting uh, the biggest sporting event in the world. And I guess moving forward to to World Cups, uh, the future World Cups, or we know the next ones in Mexico, Canada, and America, and. I guess, look at the rights of women's rights in America now in terms of the abortion uh, rulings around there. So then I hope journalists and, and people that cover that World Cup then cover those issues as well and, and not just turn a blind eye, even though we're going into more of a Western uh, Western country there. And then looking even further ahead, 2030, Saudi Arabia is looking at possibly they might be hosting uh, as a, a joint bid with Greece and Egypt. And we know Leon, a certain Lionel Messi uh, is going to be possibly... Uh, 
bit of a spokesman for that upcoming World Cup. So let's see how all that develops and and whether or not FIFA learns from its mistakes in terms of the way Qatar was given the World Cup and, and the way certain issues have been dealt with here. Let's see how that's dealt with in the future and then we'll really truly see uh, whether or not uh, we've learned from our mistakes and, and we can grow on that and, and hopefully um, make a more positive uh, environment when it comes to these World Cups. But as I said, I agree with you both. It's been some fantastic football um, and we've seen possibly the greatest player finally get his hands on on the one trophy that's eluded him. So certainly a fitting end um, to the World Cup. And, and Ray, we'd like to thank you for coming on and sharing your thoughts for this World Cup. It's been certainly a, a festival of football for the last month. And amazingly, we're going to go straight back into club football uh, over the next couple of weeks. So a bit of a quick change. But uh, thank you for coming on and sharing your thoughts. And uh, I guess now 18 months to the Euros and hopefully the Italians and the Greeks will both be there. Well, where there's uh, imagination, there's a lot of hope and there's a lot of <laughs> adventures ahead and that's what makes it beautiful. Also, just a quick note, I noticed this morning uh, Mark Bosnich uh, singled out Hector Martinez, uh, uh, you know, a, a gentleman that's been around for a long, long time in football and uh, claims that uh, the great relationships he's had with the team. I'd like to have a quick shout out to Sebastian Junto, who we know personally, uh, who can now come out of his bedroom and live life again because I know how hard it is for anybody going to that type of, um, you know, uh, program, trying to win a cup uh, and everybody's you know, talking to you in such a way that uh, they mean well, but sometimes you might feel unwell. So um, all the best to him and all the best to the Argentine fans. I hope they have a fabulous Christmas. Uh, enjoy enjoy the, the spoils, watch the replays and say, yes, you can pinch yourself. We, we really did it. And, um, and Lionel's the king. And to you guys, thank you for having me on the program. Thank you to your um, listeners. Um, always a pleasure to hear your podcast and I can't wait to see what you guys have got installed next. So thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Ray. And that brings to an end another episode of Behind the Lights with me, Seb. And me, Jono. As always, thank you for your support and good night.